When our oldest daughter, Kate, was four years old, we sent her to a Christian preschool. Along with her adorable, albeit adventurous, best friend, Daniel. Daniel discovered a book of matches in his home. And he put those matches in his pocket and he took them to school the next day. When it came time for recess, Daniel grabbed Kate and led her across the schoolyard to a tree. And there under the tree, Daniel took out the matches heretofore unknown to Kate. And there under the tree, they did the deed. They struck the matches. One match, two match, three matches. I don't know how many matches they struck. I don't know what they were trying to burn, if they were trying to burn anything at all. All I know is that they got caught. And Kathy and I got the phone call. Mr. and Mrs. Bailey. And then in a stern voice, the teacher proceeded to tell us what she had already proclaimed to a trembling Kate and Daniel. You have broken God's law. You must be punished. Now, we were not sure what law of God they had actually broken. That was never made clear to us. I think perhaps it was commandment 11, thou shalt practice safety at all times. In any case, because Kathy and I had both been teachers, we wanted to honor the teacher in front of Kate, and so Kate took her punishment. But ever after that, I felt a little rebellious toward that school and their rules and their rigidity. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and admit it. I was just a little bit proud that I had a match-lighting, risk-taking daughter. You need to know, I'm feeling a little bit rebellious this morning because I'm not convinced that God wants his children to be safe or that he wants us to play safe. Quite the opposite. It's God who puts the matches in our hands. And when you play with matches, you're going to feel the burn, the means of grace. They are the matches that are intended to ignite us. And what starts To burn in us may not always lead to what's safe, at least least as we define safety. You and I must yield to the fire ignited by the means of grace. You and I must yield to the fire ignited by the means of grace. And where that leads, well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2, as we once again return to this now familiar passage. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. When you found your place in your Bible or the, the pew Bible in the rack in front of you, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear, read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions 
and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Bless it to us now as you promised for our good and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. For these many months now, we've been looking at the individual means of grace and the multiple layers and the great depth that is found in each of them in prayer, in the Word of God, and in the Lord's Supper. And we've seen that the means of grace are uniquely designed by God for us to experience together in worship, in fellowship, in community. We certainly experience God's grace outside of worship, and His grace certainly is not limited to the means of grace. In fact, sometimes we exceptionally and extraordinarily experience God's grace outside of these means. But here's the thing, we need not look for or hope for or pray for the extraordinary when we have these ordinary means before us, these ordinary ways that you and I can ordinarily find grace. And let's face it, most of us live very ordinary lives. So what a blessing to ordinarily experience ordinary grace for ordinary lives. But make no mistake about this. Ordinary speaks only to the availability of these means, to the fact that nothing exceptional needs to be possessed or prepared in order to have these means. They are ordinary because of their availability to us. But they are extraordinary in their power, in their ability to ignite us. Look in verse 42 and 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, there's the word, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Note This, once again, the means of grace produced the awe in the believers of the early church. Unexpectedly, for us anyway, the awe was not a result of the dramatic, miraculous power that God demonstrated to his church through the apostles. The awe was there before the miracles were. The all was there before the miracles were. The Word of God, prayer, the Lord's Supper produced that all. And where did that all settle? Look in verse 43. The verse does not read, and all came upon every person. The verse does not read, and all came upon every believer. 
And even though Peter has been addressing this group as brothers, the verse does not read, and all came upon every brother. No. By the inspiration of the Spirit of God, the verse specifically and very purposefully reads, and all came upon every what? Soul. All came upon every soul. The soul, our soul, your soul, my soul. It is the animating life principle. It's the breath of life in us. Our soul is the seat and the center of our inner human life in all its complexities and in all its aspects. So the means of grace go to work on our souls. The change they bring. They bring to the core of our being. The hope they give. They give to the core of our being. The passion they bring. They bring to the core of our being. And the fire that they ignite is ignited from the very core of who we are. The means of grace brought all to their souls. We've co-opted those words all and awesome to mean something other than they are supposed to mean. We say, dude, that's awesome. And awesome could refer, probably originally did, to a new surfboard, right? Could be a song. That was an awesome song. It could be to the iPhone 72, whenever that's going to come around. That is an awesome cell phone. None of these things are awesome. If they are, then what word is left to us to describe God and the things of God and the work of God? What word is left for us to describe our awesome Savior, Jesus Christ? Listen, the word translated all here is over and over and over in Scripture translated as fear. You and I cannot, should not, try to get around the fact that the word means the product, something produced by something else that is intimidating or alarming. That's what fear means. We can't dismiss fear as an Old Testament word. This all, this fear, is what these excited devoted New Testament believers in Jesus felt. And you know why? Because the things of God are holy things. And when you and I are exposed to holy things, there should be a sense of awe or fear that we are in a place where sinful people ought not to be, except the lavish grace of God. We have the sense that we are in the presence of someone in whose presence sinful people like you and I ought not to be except for the lavish grace of God. Do you feel that kind of awe? The bush was on fire. It was burning. God said to Moses, do not come near. Take the sandals off of your feet for the ground upon which you are standing is holy ground. The beauty 
with the gospel of Jesus and the means of grace that take us to Jesus is that they assure us that it's okay for us to come into the presence of a holy God through Jesus. How many of you are in a community group? As you know, in our community groups, we are all studying this same book called Gentle and Lowly. And it is a great book. But let me say this. The point of the book is not to make Jesus soft or sweet. When Jesus self-describes as gentle and lowly, He's simply acknowledging that he is approachable. He should not be. He's the holy God, but he is. And he says to us, it's okay for you to come to me. That's gentle. The point is that Jesus is not pretentious, though he could be. He's the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He actually is important. He actually is impressive. But he conceals, rather than flaunts, the full magnitude of his greatness. So that you and I will know that we can come to him. That's lowly. Gentle and lowly, yes. Soft and sweet, no. You and I are always in the presence of holiness. We're in the, when we're in the presence of Jesus, we certainly are invited and welcome to come as we are, but we must not stay as we are. When we enter into the presence of Jesus, he doesn't say, oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Just be yourself. No, we're in the presence of one who says, be holy, therefore, because I am holy. We won't be, can't be, not perfectly in this life, but we have the means of grace to help us grow in holiness and in the awe of the Lord. The means of grace aren't soft or sweet or sacred or insipid or safe. Otherwise, if they were those things, how would they ever produce all in the early believers or in you and me right now you play with them and like matches they start a fire and you know what that's good news and here's why and I don't know about you but my soul doesn't need soft and sweet my soul needs radical change I think wrong thoughts. I want wrong things. I'm tempted to say and sometimes do say wrong words. I don't need soft and sweet. Well, maybe you you should think about not doing that anymore. No. I need the Word of God. I need prayer. And I need the grace of this table to stick my nose in my unholiness, in my casual, flippant attitude toward God and the things of God so that those things burn away. Puritan author John Owen writes, 
let our hearts admit, I am poor and weak. Satan is too subtle, too cunning, too powerful. He watches constantly for advantages over my soul because I know that to be true. And because I've experienced that to be true, I don't need soft or sweet or insipid. I need the match to be lit. I need fire. Owen says, The world presses in upon me with all sorts of pressures, pleas and pretenses. My own corruption is violent, tumultuous, enticing and entangling. Because I know that to be true. Because I've experienced that to be true in my life, I don't need soft or sweet or insipid. I need the light, the match to be lit. I need fire, and so do you. That's what the means of grace bring. David writes in Psalm 39, My heart became hot within me as I mused. The fire burned. Jeremiah. I say, if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more of his name. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. The two disciples with whom Jesus walked on his resurrection day as they were making their way to Emmaus, Jesus came to them. He explained to them that all of Scripture from beginning to end is about him, and then these disciples said, Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened scripture to us? The means of grace bring fire. They bring awe. Because as we've seen over and over again, they bring us to Jesus. And Jesus is awesome. Hold on. I got to say something. Let me just tell you. It's getting more and more difficult for me to preach in front of that painting. Because you know why? That painting doesn't produce awe in me. Because that painting isn't Jesus. Speaking just for myself, personally, I find the painting soft and insipid. To me, that doesn't look like a Jesus that could save anybody from anything or transform me or fire up my soul. And when we have this need for fire among us, there that thing is, to douse the flames, as if to say, gentle, gentle, easy, everyone, relax, it's all going to be okay. The means of grace are not things to be toyed with or to be nonchalant about. God gives them to us to change us, to ignite us, to awe us, not to make us safe. Now here's something else. It galls me to be trite, right? We all want to be original. (laughs) We all want to think originally. We all want to be quoted. Nobody ever quotes me. They just quote who I quote. That's okay. And I'm going to quote again who I've quoted before. And here's the thing. Thousands of other preachers have quoted this same thing. But here's why I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because C.S. Lewis is so brilliant and helpful 
in his description of awe in his famous book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He describes Aslan, the Christ figure in the book, like this. Who is Aslan? asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. The word has reached us that he has come back. Shall we see him? asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve, that's why I brought you here for. I'm to lead you to where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is, is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Uh, that you will, dearie. And make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan, Without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. No matter how many times I read that passage, it helps me imagine all in the right way. The awe that the early church had, the awe that you and I should have. Jesus is so good. Do you hear me say that? Jesus is good. Is that good news? Do you believe it? But he's not safe. Most of us put lots of effort into making our lives safe. And by safe, I think we mean comfortable, well-protected, left alone, I think by safe, we mean avoiding risk, following the rules, staying in the lines, shoring things up. All of Jesus, inspired by the means of grace, may not allow you to stay in that safe place. These means of grace may cause you to make changes you fear making. To do things you fear doing. And you might think, I could never become that. Or I could never do that. And when you and I think that, we're thinking rightly. Because we can't do those things in and of ourselves. But with Christ in us. And through the means of grace. Through prayer. Through the word. Through the sacraments we can. Listen, I have exposed us so long really long, to the study of the means of grace so that just as our skin burns through prolonged exposure to the sun, so our souls would burn through prolonged exposure to the means of grace. We need not be safe. We need to burn. There is no 11th commandment. Thou shalt practice safety at all times. The Apostle Paul writes, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me 
so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me, bring me safely into his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's God's job to keep us safe. And you know what? He does. We are safe in the hollow of his hand. He is our refuge. We are hidden in God, in Christ. That's all true. But God is also awesome. And when an awesome God works in us and through us and through the means of grace, safe may not be the thing that we feel. Safe may not be the thing to which we are called. Changed in difficult and maybe painful ways? Maybe. Challenged beyond what we could ever believe could happen in us or through us? Yes. Our job is not to protect ourselves. Our job is to yield ourselves to God's work through prayer, through the Word, and through the Lord's table. And when the fire ignites, when the fire ignites, let it burn. Don't douse it out of fear or because you're seeking your own safety. And what it burns and where it burns and how it burns, we've got to yield that to the Lord and trust Him with the results. We must not toy with the means of grace. We must not be nonchalant about them. We must come to them in faith, seeking to be awed and expecting and hoping and praying to feel the burn. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these means of grace, the way you use them in our lives. Father, we pray with just simply this, Lord, that the means of grace would produce in us what it produced in these brand new first believers in Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would be awed by them because they take us to you. And Lord, we need to be awed by you. And when we are, your way will be okay with us. So do this innocent through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.